Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, appreciate you being here for this breakout session. I am Dave Hill. Uh, I'm the care pastor at Harvest Baptist Church in Blue Springs. Uh, Alan Shelby is our lead pastor. And so um, I teach uh, a men's Bible study, uh, among other things. I go out on, on discipleship trips and lead teams when we go on discipleship trips. So it's a, it's a blessing to be here. Uh, to Now, I, I'm going to try to stay focused in my notes because uh, Sam's message this morning kind of mirrors what I'm talking about in terms of distractors or adversaries. And so I, I'm going to give you three examples. And so I want to uh, do that. So let's just start it with a word of prayer. Lord, we just come before you, uh, give you all the praise and glory. I thank you, Lord, for such an opportunity to share the word and, and to be with these awesome people. I pray for all the speakers today, uh, tomorrow, tonight, and during the daytime, Lord, all the breakout session. Lord, use them for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I'm going to attempt to uh, move my slides. So my main theme is finishing strong in the mission ministry for a fourth quarter victory. So obviously, I'm going I'm to work some sports analogies in here for some of you sports fans. And so it's finishing strong uh, in the mission ministry for a fourth quarter victory. And so um, my subtopic, though, is one drop in the fourth quarter. One drop in the fourth quarter. You know, wide receiver Steve Johnson, uh, the Steelers are playing the Bills. And so he was a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills. So he dropped the pass in the end zone, which probably would have won the game. After the game, he went on Twitter, and this is what he tweeted on Twitter. He says, I praise you 24-7, and this is how you do me? You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this. He's talking about God. Yeah, he's mad at God because he dropped the ball in the end zone. Of course, he ends it. Thanks, though. Man, do we blame God when we make mistakes? And they always point up, you know, when they score a touchdown and all this stuff, dance a little bit on the end zone. But this guy, he decided that he was going to blame God because he dropped it. And it was a crucial time in the fourth quarter. You see, he blamed God for his failure. Here's my point. If we fail in the fourth quarter of missions, now is not the time to blame God when your ministry hits a roadblock or adversary. You see, when you drop the ball or your mistake causes the team to lose, something's going to happen. You're going to feel guilty or you're going to blame others. So rather than focus on blaming God, it's time to focus on another type of drop. And that drop is called sacrifice. You see, a drop of all that you have, pouring out all you have in mission or ministry. Like the woman in Matthew 26, seven, she had an alabaster box, a jar with expensive ointment. Drop after drop, she rubbed it on Jesus. The disciples didn't like that she used it on Jesus and said, hey, we could have used that and sold it and given it to the poor. Jesus let them know that this was for his burial. She gave all that she had, just like the widow who had two mites in Luke 21. All that she had, she gave it. You see, when you remain mission ministry minded in the fourth quarter, you focus on giving God everything that you have, even if it's just one drop. Unlike Steve Johnson, who blamed God for his drop, you can honor God by your one drop of continued sacrifice. Turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter nine. Ecclesiastes chapter nine. And I have it on the, on the PowerPoint here. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. Well, that scripture appears to have some implications of hell. I am comfortable applying 
this passage as a warning to those of us who are ministers and ministry missionaries and even those who are seeking to be in missions. You see, you have to understand when you go to the grave, you can't do anything. The time that you could have spent with God and for God is done. It's done. But here's my first point. Remaining mission ministry minded is to have purpose, to have purpose. That's the key word, purpose. To finish strong is to continue using your hands, the word of God, your biblical knowledge and wisdom during the fourth quarter because you can't do anything from the grave. But if you love the Lord, you just don't stop serving him. That's why this session is called Finishing Strong. So how do you remain mission-minded as you grow older? Here's, a, here's my first point. Our mission doesn't change because of the times we live in. In fact, the pandemic is all the more reason to minister. People are crying out for clarity and direction. The mission of the church has never changed. You see, in the secular world, people look forward to retiring from their jobs and with a pension plan, a 401k, and a lot of companies don't even offer those anymore. I see in missions and ministry, we see men and women who have given their life to the Lord in ministry for a long time, and many of them do not have financial pensions or financial rewards. You see, too often, church leadership will focus on thinking that once you reach a certain age, you're not profitable for the ministry. That is far from the truth and faulty thinking. But it's during the fourth quarter of a game that an athlete and a team can produce excellent rewards, excellent victories, or losses. The fourth quarter in mission ministry can bring victories or loss if you failed to execute or you failed to recognize the opposition and you don't recognize your limitations and make adjustments. Young men and young women today need mentors, leaders to guide them. You see, at some point, this analogy will break down when I'm talking about sports because some sports teams will lose in the fourth quarter. Why? Because the other team is just superior to them. No matter how many adjustments they make, they're gonna lose. Well, don't let Satan be superior to your ministry and your mission. And how do we remain mission-minded as we grow older? First of all, number two, number two, we'll go back. There it is. The opposition, namely the God of this world, wants you to throw in the towel, rest on your laurels, or drop out because of depression. And you know, most of us say, oh, I don't get depressed. Okay, all right, I understand. But wait until the devil works on you and he's coming after you. Uh, depression becomes real. And I will show you that later in this, in this ministry. In the fourth quarter ministry, there does not have to be a loss. You can stand victorious at the judgment seat of Christ and receive your crowns from the Lord. But you know, it's during your fourth quarter, your experience in life uniquely qualifies you to mentor younger ones in making critical decisions that will impact the final score, teaching them to handle pressure. You see, Dallas probably could tell you this, a veteran wants the ball in his hands when the game is on the line. And that has to be you. You should want the ball in your hands when the game is on the line in ministry. Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not be weary in well-doing for due season we shall reap if we fail not. When you think about sports, the fourth quarter is when teams make adjustments, particularly when they're behind in order to try to win the game. Teams will examine the previous quarters and focus on making changes to produce a, poten a potential victory. Also, teams will focus on building on their successes if they're winning. Here's my next point, number three. Finishing strong requires you to re-examine your ministry and evaluate your effectiveness. Finishing strong requires you to re-examine your ministry and evaluate your effectiveness, making a change, recognizing your limitations. And while you're doing that, turn to Exodus chapter 18. You see, when we look at Moses in Exodus chapter 18, 
Moses has been managing the people day and night. And in Exodus 18, 1, it says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning until the evening. You understand what was going on? Moses is in the fourth quarter of his life, and he's doing a lot. And he's managing the people day and night. Moses' father-in-law, Jephro, recognized that Moses was doing too much and would wear down and become unprofitable for the mission that was at hand. So Moses is told in Exodus verse uh, 3 and 4, he says, this is what Jephro said, And the thing that thou doest is not good, that thou wilt surely wear away, but thou and this people that is with thee. Jephro is trying to speak to his, his son-in-law. You see, to finish strong in the fourth quarter is to recognize that it's not all about you. Your actions will also affect the people in whom you are ministering to. You can't do it all by yourself. God never intended for you to carry the whole load. Look what the scripture says in verse 24. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the, over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons, the hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. He delegated. You see, here's my point. Finishing strong requires you to build a team around you so that you can delegate the task and become more effective. When you're the whole show, something will be left undone. When finishing strong, it's not to be to regret the things that you could have done. Now, I don't know if any of you are hockey fans in here. I know Dallas is a basketball fan. There's one over there. Okay. So you know of Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky was an NFL, NHL uh, Hall of Famer. And this is what he once said about 100% of the shots on the goals that he did not take. He said, you can't score if you don't shoot. He said 100% of the shots that he didn't take, he didn't make. You see, when you think about the opportunities that you had to continue to mentor, to disciple, to preach, to teach, and you believe that you did enough or you believe that you were not worthy, you know what you did? You failed to redeem the time. You miss your shot. That's what he was talking about. If he didn't take the shot, he missed it. If you haven't invested in your life into someone, you miss your shot. If you fail to share the gospel, you miss your shot. If you fail to take someone under your wings as a mentor, you miss your shot. Let me tell you something. If you listen to others who question your value, to the ministry and you decide to pull back in the fourth quarter, you miss your shot. Focus with me on the prophet Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 20. The prophet Jeremiah had this, he had great and tough moments. And you know what? He wanted to quit. In Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah is speaking out for the Lord and pronounces judgment on the city and inhabitants of Jerusalem. You know what? He gets thrown in the stocks. And in verse 2, and still he prophesies to the chief governor, who he said would be a terror to himself and all his friends, and the chief governor would fall by the sword, that he would die. Has the world challenged your mission and your ministry? Has pressure caused you to want to retire, to walk away from ministry? Do you question God? Well, Jeremiah did. Look at verse 7 and 9. Jeremiah 20, 7 and 9. O Lord, Thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I'm in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried not. I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord hath made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. This is what he says in verse 9. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. He's He's turning his back on God. He's, he's upset because he can't understand what this pressure that's going on with him. And he said, Lord, you're stronger than me. But what did he say continued in that verse? He's, he said, but his word right here, his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary 
with forbearing and I could not stay. Have you questioned whether God has you in the right mission field or in the right ministry? Jeremiah wanted to quit, but he didn't. Why? Because he had fire shut up in his bones. You see, God knew how much pressure Jeremiah could take, but God had him ready to do that. Here's my point. Key point number two, remaining mission-minded is to have persistence. Persistence. You don't walk off the field of ministry in the fourth quarter just because a church, the fans, or the world's not supporting you. You don't walk off. Where is your fruit? That's the question. Where is your persistence? You have the Holy Spirit living in you, and God will allow all of us to go through trials to make us stronger. The more you persist in the fourth quarter, the more experience that comes developing you as a seasoned ministry missionary. And like I said, veterans in the fourth quarter have been there and they're slow to fall under pressure. Is that you? Do you thrive under pressure? Are you trying to learn that? Look at Paul's life, the end of his life. He was in prison, but yet he wrote the word of God. He didn't quit because of persecution or opposition. Of course he struggled, but he didn't quit. In his last book, he writes in 2 Timothy, he says, 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8, for I am ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. He's in his fourth quarter. Paul was in the fourth quarter of his mission ministry. He knows that death is imminent, but death would be the only thing taking him out of ministry. He instructed Timothy and he sets an example for us today. He says in verse 8, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Here's my next point. Remaining mission ministry minded is to have perseverance. The word is perseverance. In 2 Timothy 4.18, it says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me switch and look at another guy named Elijah. So if you turn to 1 Kings 17, we're going to look at Elijah who experienced highs and lows. You see, when God calls you to the mission or to ministry, he allows you to experience awesome miracles and blessings by him. How you will encounter opposition, even satanic, and potentially suffer depression, and you want to quit. I think I was reading an article just the other day that talks about something like 30,000 pastors and preachers have quit the ministry just since the pandemic started. They wanted to quit because they suffered depression. But God is so faithful and will feed you, refresh you, and have you mentor a new player in the fourth quarter to win victoriously. Looking at 1 Kings 17, see, it's, it's not known how old Elijah the prophet was. The Bible only indicates that he was a Tishbite from Gilead. 1 Kings 17:1, this is the first mention of him in the Bible. So we find that the word Tishbite in the strong concordance means dweller, inhabitant. Even in 2 Kings 1.8, it indicates that he was a hairy man and he was girded about with a girdle of leather about his lords. I would venture to say that he was rugged. But God will use an ordinary man to do an extraordinary job. Is that you? Elijah had passion just like us in the fourth quarter of mission ministry. Look what it says in, in James chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave away, gave away and the earth brought fruit, her, brought forth her fruit. If any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sin. You see, in Eli Elijah in 1 Kings speaks to King Ahab. Now, I, I don't know about you, but history says that this was a bad dude. Ahab was a bad dude. Uh, God placed him right 
before wicked King Ahab, pronouncing that there would be no dew or rain for years. Now, that's a tough mission that would make any man want to quit before he got started. Look, it says, look what it says in 1 Kings 17, 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Are you kidding? That's, that's like I, when I was in college back in the day, and you know, you don't make a lot of money, and you're trying to pay your bills. And that's like the water guy coming out to your house and saying, I'm here to cut off your water. What? Somebody's not going to be happy. So Elijah is telling him, hey, you ain't going to get in the water. He's not happy. But after that encounter, God sends Elijah away to be fed and to drink. Look at verse 2. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. Verse 4, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. It is there that God feeds him bread and gives him water to drink to prepare him for the mission. You see, at some point, you've been fed the word of God and the water of life in, the, in churches to prepare you for ministry. Verse 6 says, And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. You see, now in verse 8, we see God sending Elijah. He's going to send him on another mission field. You see, after training him on that short-term mission with Ahab in Israel, look what it says in verse 8. In verse 8, and the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Okay. All right. Let me get my... Uh, Yeah. So, I will get this right. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we're there. All right. So, and the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So now let's get, God is getting ready to prepare him to go on another mission trip. And so Elijah is sent to find a widow woman who would sustain him more. The widow and her son were on the last bit of food, and Elijah shows up tell them to feed him. She recognizes that he was a man of God, but there, there's a problem. The drought that Elijah prophesied about to King Ahab meant that there was a famine in the land. Verse 12, and, and she said, and the Lord thy God liveth, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. She's talking about they're preparing their last meal. Verse 13, watch what he does. And Elijah said unto her, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me there a, a little cake first. Elijah saying, no, no, I'm not worried about, it's, that's how she sees it. He doesn't feel like he's worried about me and my son. He's saying, feed me first. I'm the prophet. And he said, and bring it to me, and after make for thee and thy son. He said, after you feed me, then you feed you and your son. 
For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. That's, that's a bold statement. He's saying, feed me first. Then you feed yourself and your son. That's when her faith comes into question. She already said she recognized that he was a man of God. You see, finishing strong means to recognize that God will put you in situations where those you are ministering to will either trust you as you trust God, or they will go against you. Elijah is learning how to lead. Here's key point number four. Remaining mission ministry minded is to have proof. To have proof. Galatians 4, Galatians 6, 4, but let every man prove his own work, prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. You see in 1 Kings 17, 15, it says, and she went and did according to the sayings of Elijah and she and he and her house did eat, watch what it says, many days. Remember, she only had a little bit that they were gonna eat and they were ready to die. But because of this miracle, they now had food to eat for many days. Verse 16, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. You see, we'll find also in this passage where the widow's son becomes deathly sick and stopped breathing. And Elijah now will perform another miracle, calling on God to bring the widow's son back to life. But in this scenario, he questioned why God puts him in this situation by slaying her son. He's accusing God of slaying her son. Don't believe me, look at the word of God. The Bible says in verse 18, the widow says, and she said unto Elijah, what have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? She's, she's mad, she's mad. You see, there are times in your fourth quarter of ministry where you may have to counsel others who question where God is in traumatic situations. You're gonna be called on to do that. Verse 20, and he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? Wow. Elijah questioned what God was doing. Yet he prayed over the child. He still did it, even though he questioned. You see, by now in your fourth quarter ministry, you have learned that God is in control. Amen? I'll get some amens out of you at some point. Verse 21, and he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come unto him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again and he revived. Here's number five, finishing strong in the fourth quarter is trusting God, even when it looks like you could be seen as incompetent or a loser. To that widow, that's how she was looking at Elijah. But he wanted to finish strong. God wanted him to finish strong. Verse 22, and the woman said unto Elijah, now this I know, that thou art a man of God, and that the word of God in thy mouth is true. That's the proof. Because he trusted God. Even though he questioned, he came back to his senses. And here's my next point. Remaining ministry-minded is to apply God's providence. Apply God's providence. Now, what's going to happen? Man, he's been on a short-term mission telling Ahab it's not going to rain. God sent him to another short mission, and he's dealing with the widow and her son. Now God's getting ready to send him on a dangerous mission. You know, are there things that we dread to do? Lord. Send me across the street, but not across the world. Lord, this is my fourth quarter. I've done awesome things for you. Why now? Let me tell you something. When God sends you out wherever it is, he will go with you. You see, in back, back in 1 Kings 16, you don't have to turn there. We've seen King Ahab, a bad dude. And this, this is what the scripture says in 1 Kings 16. 
And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. So in other words, God was not happy with this king. You see, coming off a blessed encounter with the widow and son, here in chapter 18, we see God sending him back to talk to this wicked king, Ahab. This time is to prophesy rain and a bigger challenge, 18.1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Now he's going to go back to say there will be rain. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was sore famine in Samaria. <laughs> you know, Pastor Sam was talking about adversaries. No matter how big, number seven, no matter how big, bad, and ugly the adversary and situation is, finishing strong requires you to have offensive faith. Offensive faith. You see, three years after that game-changing, awesome miracle with the widow and her son, God upped the game. He, got, he upped it and sends him back to encounter a strong adversary. I'm sure Elijah knew of the evilness of King Ahab and Jezebel. We're looking at a possible loss in the fourth quarter. On the way, Elijah encounters Obadiah, who hid a hundred of God's prophets in the caves. And Elijah tells Obadiah, go tell Ahab that I'm here. He did that three times. Elijah eventually meets Ahab and corrects him when Ahab says to him in verse, chapter 18, verse 18. And he, Elijah, said, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, forsaking the commandments of the Lord, and following Baal. You see, we see in verse 18 that Elijah is challenging Ahab. If you follow that, he wants him to bring his prophets. And Ahab does just that. Ahab was so confident that he called the children of Israel to watch this battle. He felt that his God would win. Here's my point. There it is. Your mission ministry will be observed because Ahab wanted him and the people to see that how his gods were going to win. This is the example of how you are challenged to remain mission-minded when the people do not heed your words. Look what it says in 1 Kings 18, 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. What does it say? And the people answered not a word. It's my point, number nine. There it is. It's so easy to question your ministry, your mission effectiveness and want to step away when the people are not responding. The scripture said the people, they responded not. Being mission ministry minded is to never take things personal. Never take things personal. Ahab's prophets, they took a bullock and cut it in pieces and laid it on the wood with no fire. And Elijah did the same thing. And those prophets called on the name of Baal multiple times and got no answer. And Elijah mocked them. And when he did, they started cutting themselves. Elijah told the people in 1830 to come near him. And he repaired the altar and made it more relevant. He took 12 stones, built an altar according to the tribes of Jacob, saying, Israel shall be thy name. The point is, finishing strong in the fourth quarter means that you must make yourself culturally sensitive and relative. After they laid the bullock on the altar and poured water filling the trench, Elijah called on the name of the Lord. The Lord sent now fire that consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, and then licked up the water. Verse 39. And then when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You see, the people can see the power of God through your mission, your ministry. It was the people who, who took those prophets down 
to the brook Kishon, and Elijah slew every one of them. Well, you know what? Ahab's not happy. He's mad because he didn't win the victory, because he thought he could bring the whole crowd. He, he thought he could have Arrowhead Stadium there with 79,000 people watching this sacrifice that he did not win. Number 12, great victories in the mission will often bring about great adversity and opposition. Ahab got the rain that he needed so badly, but he lost his false prophets. He tells his, his wife Jezebel, and you know what? She's not happy. So he was wimpish and he went home to tell his wife what Elijah did. First King 19.1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. It says there, then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me. And more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. You know what that means? Jezebel put a 24-hour contract on Elijah's life. Look at verse 3 in chapter 19. And when he saw that, this is Elijah, when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. Point 13, finishing strong in the fourth quarter is when people see God using you in mission ministry victories and acknowledging him. Finishing strong and number 14 requires you to run the challenges, not from them. When Jezebel put that 24-hour contract on his life, what did he do? He took off running. I'm so proud of first responders, doctors and nurses and those in this pandemic, those who go to fires and all that, they don't run. You see people running out of the building and you see them running in. They are running to it, a challenge, not from a challenge. Paul never ran from challenges. He faced persecution, imprisonment, and eventually death. He still used that time to write to the churches. Elijah came off his highest victory at Mount Carmel, where even the people recognized God. Yet, in verse four, he said, 19.4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down on a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. Elijah's now saying, I want to die. And said, it's, it's enough now. Oh, Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my father. He's under depression. You know, I tell people, you know, my wife says, you, you, people get depressed. I said, not men. Men don't get depressed. We're only under pressure. You know, ladies get depressed. She says, that's not true. So Elijah suffers depression. Could, be, could that be you or I? When opposition comes and we freeze and we come unproductive, God takes us out. of God, please take us out of the game. Take us out of ministry. You know what happens? We drop the ball in the fourth quarter. We are losing in the fourth quarter. Well, we see that Elijah lays and sleeps under a juniper tree, and an angel touches him and tells him to arise and eat. He does that, and then he lays down again. Now, the angel of the Lord comes and touches him, tells him to arise, eat, before the, because the journey is too great. The, the angel of the Lord, not an angel, has to be probably the incarnate Christ of the Old Testament. Verse 8. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. You see, when we're running for ministry, God feeds us with enough to, enough to complete the journey. Elijah was fed food and water to go 40 days and 40 nights traveling to Mount Horeb. You know, God will take us to places where those who went before us experienced. If you ever go on a mission trip and you know that somebody was there before you, it's just something about going there, sensing that this person was there. For those who, I've never had a chance, and my wife, we've never been to Israel. But for those of you who went to Israel, it's just something to be able to walk those places where Christ walked. You know, and at some point when we get healthy enough and my artificial knees can handle it, we're going. We're going. 
But Elijah is sent to Horeb, the Mount of God, where God spoke to Moses back in Exodus 17. It's there where Moses, out of anger, struck the rock and not speak to it as God had instructed him. Various commentaries indicate that Beersheba is about 200 miles from Horeb. Horeb is Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments. You should know that. Elijah had to be really tired and depressed, but God was covering him. God was there when he reached the cave. And here where the Lord speaks to him, and it says in verse 9, And they came thither unto the cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, He said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? In your mission ministry, the key to solitude and survival is having key friends and not isolating yourself. He was running. You need key friends because isolation is the tool of the enemy. When you feel alone in the fourth quarter of your mission ministry, remember God wants to be your friend. Here's my next point. First Kings 19.10 said, and he said, this is how he responds to God. I have been very jealous for, for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He also said he didn't want to live. But here's the, my key point, number six. Finishing strong in mission ministry is having offensive faith not defensive faith. You see, defensive faith is when you call on God when the ministry's going bad. Instead, offensive faith is calling on God, thanking him when the ministry ministry is going well or bad. Now, some of you may know or you've heard of my father in the Lord, the now deceased Dr. S.M. Lockridge, and you may have heard uh, one of his videos, That's My King. And so that was, that's my father in the Lord. And so I uh, he confirmed my salvation when I was 18 in San Diego, California, even though I'm from Kansas City, Kansas. But when he was alive, his ministry was widespread. He, was, he, helped, he worked with Billy Graham and Martin Luther King, among others. And he preached at our church, Calvary Baptist in San Diego. Well, some deacons and trustees decided at some point that they wanted a younger pastor. They were saying that he was in his fourth quarter. And, that, and we needed a new quarterback. That's what they were saying. So they wanted to call him Pastor Emeritus, which is honorary. You don't preach, hardly. You just, you just sit there. We'll give you a nice throne chair up here in the pulpit, and you sit there. Man. So I had already come back to Kansas City, but I went back to, to San Diego to visit, and I went with my godfather to go out to Dr. Lockridge's home. And I wanted to know how he felt about them wanting him to be in a lesser role. You know what, this is what he said, quote, Reverend Hill, God is in control. It's on them, not me. You see, he never quit the ministry. God later took him on to his heavenly home, but he was not concerned about them because they said, you're too old. You see, there's nobody in this room that was as old as Dr. Lockridge was. So we have no excuses to say, I'm retiring from ministry. I got to stop. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Let me tell you something. Defensive faith is thinking God can't use you at your age. Offensive faith is recognizing that you are a servant of the Lord and your strength comes from the Lord. You see, continuing in 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13, we see that God shows his might and speaks to Elijah. Verse 13, and it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? Verse 14, and he, Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I am only left to seek thy life, take it away. He says that, he already said that once. He repeated that. Number 17, just when you think you are done in the mission and ministry, God will give you fresh orders because he wants you to finish well. God prepares you to reproduce yourself into the life of another person. Here's my next point, key seven. 
Remaining mission ministry minded is to be excited about evangelism, dedicated to discipleship, and motivated toward missions. You see, we see here in 1 Kings 19, 15, and 16 that God tells Elijah to go into the wilderness of Damascus, Damascus, anoint a king in Syria and one in Israel. Then he says, I want you to anoint Elisha to be a prophet in your room under your tashat in Greek. For that is for your authority, under your authority leadership. And what does he do? He finds Elisha and casts his mantle covering him. And Elisha follows Elisha, Elijah. Number 18, God's put people in your ministry to refresh you, to build your confidence in the fourth quarter. In 2 Kings 1-2, you can find that Elijah continues to disciple Elisha teaching him the things that he did. Elisha would become the new quarterback who takes over in the coming years. Let me say something to you. If you haven't identified those who can continue in your ministry, it will affect others. Now is the time in your fourth quarter to reproduce yourself just like Elisha did, Elijah did with Elisha. You know, there's a young man in this room and in his church, and namely Pastor Kenny Morgan. God put him in my life. And he first put him in my wife's life at St. Luke's Hospital. And then she brought him to me and she said, I've been really trying to minister to this young man. You know what? After I led him to the Lord, I invested my life into him through discipleship and life skills. His father passed away when he was two years old. So he never knew his earthly father. And you know what? I became his pops. Lori became my daughter-in-law. And Ken and Bree, our grandkids. And God, as Elijah mentored Elisha, they went everywhere. I held Kenny's feet to the fire. I admonished him as we bonded in tough times. I was there and continue to be there for him. We continue, we continue today to hold each other accountable. He has excelled in ministry. You know what? I'm not done in ministry. Can't quit. I will continue in the fourth quarter. The ministry was never about me. At the beginning of Elijah's mission, God used him to give God the glory. It was never about Elijah. It's never about you. God took Elijah up when he was finished with him. Not when he said, Lord, I need to retire. I've given you everything. I'm saying, you're sitting here. You got too much to do. You can't retire on the Lord. You see, we will begin to lose sight of what God's plan for us when we can't see the big picture and we get depressed like Elijah or we become arrogant. It was never God's plan for one person only to meet God's goals. You won't be mission ministry minded when you think the task is only yours to accomplish. You know why? Moses had Aaron. Joshua had Caleb. Paul had a quartet. Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, and Titus. Peter had John. Elijah did not take himself out of the mission. He did not quit. He continued in the mission and finished strong until God called him up. God wants us to finish well, finish strong. And we must run, run with grace. And as I begin to close out, I just got a couple of scriptures I want to give you. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Wherefore, seeing we're also compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's my last point. You remain faithful in the mission by holding on to the grace of God. It's God's grace that enables you. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we fail not. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 27. No, you're not. That they which run a race, run all. 
but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring unto it subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Whatever you do, don't be labeled a castaway. Give God everything that you have. Don't drop the ball like Steve Johnson did for the Buffalo Bills in the fourth quarter that could have won the game if we would have caught it, but he blamed God. And he wasn't going to be content with that. He went on Twitter, as I showed you in my first slide. He went on Twitter to tell the whole world that God is the reason why he dropped the ball. You see, when people are, are watching you and they're trying to figure out what's going on in your ministry and they see you going through stuff, don't give up. Don't be a castaway. Say, Lord, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's what it's all about. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We give you all the praise and glory. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the awesome time with you just to be before these folks. Lord, I pray that uh, you will use this conference to build up to men and women. Lord, that none of us will cut, throw in the towel and say, I'm retiring, I'm done. No, we, we have to keep fighting. We have to keep working. And Lord, um, I just thank you so much for this church and all the churches that are part of the Living Faith Fellowship. We pray for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We get a round of applause for Pastor Dave. We, we do have a few minutes left. I, I said I wasn't going to close this up, but I, yeah. I know God's talking to somebody. Yeah. Okay. Um, here's what I, here's what I heard. I'll, I'll go first. And then maybe if someone just wants to share or you want to, maybe we need to talk about it. Maybe he brought something up and Holy Spirit's knocking and you don't know how to answer. And, and we, well, we've got Pastor Dave, we've got other pastors in the room. We could, we could talk about it. Probably what you're here and other people need to hear too, but you know, what got me was, you know, got your son in the faith yeah and he's made you proud oh yeah okay you don't get that if you're not involved in generational ministry i'm a grandpa now there's yeah. nothing like it yeah you know my dad and i and my oldest son got to go to israel together wow that's like one of the highlights of my life yeah I didn't disciple Scott, but I've been able to mentor Scott in ministry. Scott, well done. Good job. I'm proud of you. You're doing good. You don't get to do that. And Ken and Aubrey, are you watching them grow up? Yeah. <laughs> Ken's going to be standing here soon, and we're going to be sitting there. Yeah. Ken Jr. Yeah. Like Kenny Morgan's already standing here, but. Yeah. Man, you don't get to. Be, okay, so that's what got me. Wow, and I'm I'm discipling three guys right now. Uh, do I have time to do that? Well, no, but I can't not do it. Like, what? Yeah. There's nothing like it. Okay, anyway, that's what. Anyone else? God was speaking to you. You want to share something, or you have a question? No. Anyone else? Yes. So you could find a place to serve in children's ministry. Amen. 
Okay. Chuck, how old are you? 54, semi-retired, going to Costa Rica, cross-culturally, to help with Iglesia de la Estrella, uh, Norte. And, uh, okay. Wagi. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Martin. You know, the idea of investing in the souls of men. Uh, I can give you thank you so much for, for that. It's, it's very, very unique principle in our our ministry or just for for eternity. Uh, this touched my my heart. Even sometimes it is it's hard and it's cold. We can say everything. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay, Pastor Wagi Butros, how old are you? Thirty-four. Thirty-four. <laughs> okay, sixty-four years old. And what 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 are you trusting God for? Uh, to plant in Arabic, speaking a church in Kansas City. Okay. And by God's grace, I will see it before I go. So he's going to do the work of a lifetime. Yeah. In the next, in the, in the days you have left, trusting God for that. What else? Who? Else? What? What? Are, what, what? Yes. Cindy, uh, Cindy spoke at our church in Florida. Right? Um, he spoke about it. Spoke really high on that. You know, I had the vision of Elijah. And, um, I thought the relationship was like over. You know, like it's in the past, but it's. I think it's now in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I. I will say that. Um, God used my wife to, to minister to him. Every time he showed up in her lab, she was on him. And she was not going to let him get away. And, uh, you know, I, I could say this. Back in that day, he was more interested in the other people, you know, if I could say it that way. Is that good? Yeah. So he liked girls. And so, so, <laughs> so, so. I, th I think he was more inquisitive when he came to that big church, KCBT, you can see all these people. But I, I got him right off the bat. You know, he's sitting there and uh, I said, you like sports, right? He goes, uh, okay, I'll be right back. So I went out into the lobby and I paid the 20 bucks and I signed him up for the softball ministry. And I brought the receipt back to him. I said, here, he goes, what's that? I said, just show up on Friday, just show up. The guys were playing softball, you know, and then he started coming to Monday night Bible study. From that point, you know, God put it on his heart. The Holy Spirit was working it. And I recognized that God was doing some stuff. And so then um, I led him to the Lord that night at our home and uh, invested in him. But you know what? He didn't stop. You see, he discipled Eliseo Gomez. Eliseo discipled Andrew Ong. Andrew Ong, Disciple Mankid, and all these other guys. So I now have this big tree of about 30 guys, and it's more than that, that's all over the country, all over the world. It only started because we were obedient to the Lord, saying, you have to do this. You have to mentor. And, you know, quickly, I was not interested in discipleship when we first came to KCBT back in 1987, 86. She says to me, hey, we were in an all-black church coming there, and she says, we need to get in discipleship. And I go, nah, I'm not interested in that. I'm already a preacher. She said, but you don't know everything. <laughs> and I said, okay, you're right. So I submitted myself to discipleship. We drove every week to Olathe, Kansas to be discipled, and now you can see the fruit because we obeyed. Yeah.
Yeah. You might end up disciple and a future discipleship pastor. Yeah. At a yeah. church that's planted, like, that's pretty big uh, oh, yeah. buy in there to Kingdom Work. Anything else from the other pastors, leaders, uh, or, or Cynthia? <laughs> <laughs> so I love what spoke to me was the essence of faith is recognizing that we are servants of the Lord and the strength comes from the Lord. So as I age, I hurt <laughs> my knees and, you know, all of that anyway. So uh, going to my ministry, oftentimes I'm really hurting and I have to rely on the Lord just to get there. Yeah. And, and it, it, there's a lot of walking involved. So I'm totally relying on him yes. every minute. But because of that, the ministry is just blooming. People are getting saved. Whereas before, when I was younger and didn't have any hurt, you know, any aches and pains, and I just bebop in, and you know, it's so much more fruitful. Completely dependent upon Him in my weakness, <laughs> and so there is a good, a silver lining to getting old and hurting and all of that, yes. because we have to depend on Him. So, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Somebody back there. Yeah, yes, sir. You know, uh, to speak to, to what the gentleman said here is no matter how old you get, Rich and I went to, we can be specific. So, we, we went in uh, to a place one time and we were on the elevator. And when the elevator doors opened, there was a lady sitting there in a wheelchair handing out handwritten when we started here at midtown <clears throat> a call went out uh, for someone who could just we just need someone young enough who's strong enough to kind of move things around a little bit what's this like what exactly are we talking about we had a guy named steve purrier yeah i don't know if you remember steve but steve was kind of ate up with cancer the request was for somebody who could push his wheelchair because he didn't have strength anymore to go evangelize like if you just get me out on the street i'll do the rest if you can just get me to the nursing home if you can just get me where the people are I, I, my mouth works i can still and that was so convicting that here's this guy and he doesn't even have the strength anymore to get his wheelchair out to the street and, and he's just you know tell you what god was all over that man in his weakness god's strength was made perfect and this that power rested on him like that but i tell you for you know you all still have enough health to get in and out of here and you have the understanding that it has to be god at work like we've learned that along the way somewhere god accepts you do it but we've also learned he does do it but man i, I thank god i mean you guys it's good to be in the fourth quarter and you may be in a church we're a super young church like if you're over 30 at midtown you're kind of old <laughs> ancient fossilized you know and all of our music is geared toward the young people and all of our outreach is geared toward the young people and sometimes you can feel like a little bit like a pariah if you're over 35 at midtown sam was a college pastor at Cape. he's still kind of a college pastor mm -hmm. you know what that's okay it didn't scare us to be in the fourth quarter like we 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 have what people need and i mean it's good to be in the fourth quarter i don't know just saying that's kind of